Book Nine, Chapters One to Two of Ten Books on Architecture. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Fredrik Karlsson. Ten Books on Architecture by Vitruvius, translated by Morris Hickey Morgan. Chapter One, The Zodiac and the Planets. One. It is due to the divine intelligence, and is a very great wonder to all who reflect upon it, that the shadow of a gnomon at the equinox is of one length in Athens, and of another in Alexandria, of another in Rome, and not the same at Piacenza or at other places in the world. Hence drawings for dials are very different from one another, corresponding to the differences of situation. This is because the length of the shadow at the equinox is used in constructing the figure of the analemma, in accordance with which the hours are marked to conform to the situation and the shadow of the gnomon. The analemma is a basis for calculation deduced from the course of the sun and found by observation of the shadow as it increases until the winter solstice. By means of this, through architectural principles and the employment of the compasses, we find out the operation of the sun in the universe. 2. The word universe means the general assemblage of all nature, and it also means the heaven that is made up of the constellation and the courses of the stars. The heaven revolves steadily round earth and sea on the pivots at the ends of its axis. The architect at these points was the power of nature, and she put the pivots there to be, as it were, centers, one of them above the earth and sea at the very top of the firmament, and even beyond the stars composing the great bear, the other on the opposite side under the earth in the regions of the south. Round these pivots, termed in Greek poloi, as centers, like those of turning lathe, she formed the circles into which the heaven passes on its everlasting way. In the midst thereof the earth and sea naturally occupy the central point. 3. It follows from this natural arrangement that the central point in the north is high above the earth, while on the south, the region below, it is beneath the earth and consequently hidden by it. Furthermore, across the middle, and obliquely inclined to the south, there is a broad circular belt composed of the twelve signs, whose stars, arranged in twelve equivalent divisions, represent each a shape which nature has depicted and so with the firmament and the other constellations they move round the earth and sea in glittering array completing their orbits according to the spherical shape of the heaven four they are all visible or invisible according to fixed times while six of the signs are passing along with the heaven above the earth the other six are moving under the earth and hidden by its shadow but there are always six of them making their way above the earth, for corresponding to that part of the last sign which in the course of its revolution has to sink, pass under the earth, and become concealed, an equivalent part of the sign opposite to it is obliged by the law of their common revolution to pass up and, having completed its circuit, to emerge out of the darkness into the light of the open space on the other side. This is because the rising and setting of both are subject to one and the same power and law. 5. While these signs, twelve in number and occupying each one-twelfth part of the firmament, steadily revolve from east to west, the moon, Mercury, Venus, the sun, as well as Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn, differing from one another in the magnitude of their orbits, as though their courses were at different points in a flight of steps, pass through those signs in just the opposite direction from west to east in the firmament the moon makes her circuit of the heaven in twenty-eight days plus about an hour and with her return to the sign from which she set forth completes a lunar month
6. The sun takes a full month to move across the space of one sign, that is, one-twelfth of the firmament. Consequently, in twelve months she traverses the spaces of the twelve signs, and, on returning to the sign from which he began, completes the period of a full year. Hence, the circuit made by the moon thirteen times in twelve months is measured by the sun only once in the same number of months. But Mercury and Venus, their paths wreathing around the sun's rays as their center, retrograde and delay their movements, and so, from the nature of that circuit, sometimes wait at stopping places within the spaces of the signs. 7. This fact may best be recognized from Venus. When she is following the sun, she makes her appearance in the sky after his setting, and is then called the evening star, shining most brilliantly. At other times she precedes him, rising before daybreak, and is named the morning star. Thus Mercury and Venus sometimes delay in one sign for a good many days, and at others advance pretty rapidly into another sign. They do not spend the same number of days in every sign, but the longer they have previously delayed, the more rapidly they accomplish their journeys, after passing into the next sign, and thus they complete their appointed course. Consequently, in spite of their delay in some of the signs, they nevertheless soon reach the proper place in their orbits after freeing themselves from their enforced delay. 8. Mercury, on his journey through the heavens, passes through the spaces of the signs in 360 days, and so arrives at the sign from which he set out on his course at the beginning of his revolution. His average rate of movement is such that he has about thirty days in each sign. 9. Venus, on becoming free from the hindrance of the sun's rays, crosses the space of a sign in thirty days, though she thus stays less than forty days in particular signs, she makes good the required amount by delaying in one sign when she comes to a pause. Therefore she completes her total revolution in heaven in 485 days, and once more enters the sign from which she previously began to move. 10. Mars, after traversing the spaces of the constellation for about 683 days, arrives at the point from which he had before set out at the beginning of his course, and while he passes through some of the signs more rapidly than others, he makes up the required number of days whenever he comes to a pause. Jupiter, climbing with gentler pace against the revolution of the firmament, travels through each sign in about 360 days, and finishes in 11 years and 313 days, returning to the sign in which he had been 12 years before. Saturn, traversing the space of one sign in 29 months plus a few days, is restored after 29 years, and about 160 days to that in which he had been 30 years before. He is, as it appears slower, because the nearer he is to the outermost part of the firmament, the greater is the orbit through which he has to pass. 11. The three that complete their circuits above the sun's course do not make progress while they are in the triangle which he has entered, but retrograde and pause until the sun has crossed from that triangle into another sign. Some hold that this takes place because, as they say, when the sun is a great distance off, the paths on which these stars wander are without light on account of that distance, and so the darkness retards and hinders them. But I do not think that this is so. 
the splendor of the sun is clearly to be seen and manifest without any kind of obscurity throughout the whole firmament so that those very retrograde movements and pauses of the stars are visible even to us twelve if then at this great distance our human vision can discern that sight why pray are we to think that the divine splendor of the stars can be cast into darkness rather will the following way of accounting for it prove to be correct heat summons and attracts everything towards itself for instance we see the fruits of the earth growing up high under the influence of heat and that spring water is vaporized and drawn up on the clouds at sunrise on the same principle the mighty influence of the sun with its rays diverging in the form of a triangle attracts the stars which follow him and as it were curbs and restrains those that proceed not allowing them to make progress but obliging them to retrograde towards himself until he passes out into the sign that belongs to a different triangle thirteen perhaps the question will be raised why the sun by his great heat causes these detentions in the fifth sign from himself rather than in the second or third which are nearer i will therefore set forth what seems to be the reason his rays diverging through the firmament in straight lines as though forming an equilateral triangle that is to the fifth sign from the sun no more no less if his rays were diffused in circuits spreading all over the firmament instead of in straight lines diverging so as to form a triangle they would burn up all the nearer objects this is a fact which the greek poet euripides seems to have remarked for he says that places at a greater distance from the sun are in violent heat and that those which are nearer he keeps temperate thus in the play of phaethon the poet writes fourteen if then fact and reason and the evidence of an ancient poet point to this explanation i do not see why we should decide otherwise than as i have written above on this subject jupiter whose orbit is between those of mars and saturn traverses a longer course than mars and a shorter than saturn likewise with the rest of these stars the farther they are from the outermost limits of the heaven and the nearer their orbits to the earth the sooner they are seen to finish their courses for those of them that have a smaller orbit often pass those that are higher going under them fifteen for example place seven ants on a wheel such as potters use having made seven channels on the wheel about the centre increasing successively in circumference and suppose those ants obliged to make a circuit in these channels while the wheel is turned in the opposite direction in spite of having to move in a direction contrary to that of the wheel the ants must necessarily complete their journeys in the opposite direction and that ant which is nearest the centre must finish its circuit sooner while the ant that is going round at the outer edge of the disc of the wheel must on account of the size of its circuit be much slower in completing its course even though it is moving just as quickly as the other in the same way these stars which struggle on against the course of the firmament are accomplishing an orbit on paths of their own but owing to the revolution of the heaven they are swept back as it goes round every day sixteen the reason why some of these stars are temperate others hot and others cold appears to be this that the flame of every kind of fire rises to higher places 
Consequently, the burning rays of the sun make the ether above him white-hot in the regions of the course of Mars, and so the heat of the sun makes him hot. Saturn, on the contrary, being nearest to the outermost limit of the firmament and bordering on the quarters of the heaven which are frozen, is excessively cold. Hence, Jupiter, whose course is between the orbits of these two, appears to have a moderate and very temperate influence, intermediate between their cold and heat. I have now described, as I have received them from my teacher, the belt of the twelve signs and the seven stars that work and move in the opposite direction, with the laws and numerical relations under which they pass from sign to sign, and how they complete their orbits. I shall next speak of the waxing and waning of the moon, according to the accounts of my predecessors. Chapter 2. The Phases of the Moon. 1. According to the teaching of Berossus, who came from the state, or rather nation, of the Chaldees, and was the pioneer of Chaldean learning in Asia, the moon is a ball, one half luminous and the rest of a blue color. When, in the course of her orbit, she has passed below the disk of the sun, she is attracted by his rays in great heat, and turns thither her luminous side, on account of the sympathy between light and light. Being thus summoned by the sun's disk, and facing upward, her lower half, as it is not luminous, is invisible on account of the likeness to the air. When she is perpendicular to the sun's rays, all her light is confined to her upper surface, and she is then called the new moon. 2. As she moves on, passing by to the east, the effect of the sun upon her relaxes, and the outer edge of the luminous side sheds its light upon the earth in an exceedingly thin line. This is called the second day of the moon. Day by day she is further relieved and turns, and thus are numbered the third, fourth, and following days. On the seventh day, the sun being in the west and the moon in the middle of the firmament between the east and west, she is half the extent of the firmament distant from the sun, and therefore half of the luminous side is turned toward the earth. But when the sun and moon are separate by the entire extent of the firmament, and the moon is in the east with the sun over against her in the west, she is completely relieved by her still greater distance from his rays, and so on the fourteenth day she is at the full, and her entire disk emits its light. On the succeeding days, up to the end of the month, she wanes daily as she turns in her course, being recalled by the sun until she comes under his disk and rays, thus completing the count of the days of the month. 3. But Aristarchus of Samos, a mathematician of great powers, has left a different explanation in his teaching on this subject, as I shall now set forth. It is no secret that the moon has no light of her own, but is, as it were, a mirror, receiving brightness from the influence of the sun. Of all the seven stars, the moon traverses the shortest orbit, and her course is nearest to the earth. Hence, in every month, on the day before she gets past the sun, she is under the disk and rays, and is consequently hidden and invisible. When she is thus in conjunction with the sun, she is called the new moon. On the next day, reckoned as her second, she gets past the sun and shows the thin edge of her sphere. Three days away from the sun, she waxes and grows brighter, removing further every day till she reaches the seventh, when her distance from the sun as is setting is about one-half the extent of the firmament, one-half of her is luminous. That is, the half which faces toward the sun is lighted up by him. 4. On the fourteenth day, 
being diametrically across the whole extent of the firmament from the sun she is at her full and rises when the sun is setting for as she takes her place over against him and distant to the whole extent of the firmament she thus receives the light from the sun throughout her entire orb on the seventeenth day at sunrise she is inclining to the west on the twenty-second day after sunrise the moon is about amid heaven hence the side exposed to the sun is bright and the rest dark continuing thus her daily course she passes under the rays of the sun on about the twenty-eighth day and so completes the account of the month i will next explain how the sun passing through a different sign each month causes the days and hours to increase and diminish in length End of book nine, chapter two.